0: Good morning, everybody. Good to see everybody. Grab your handout that you were given this morning in your Bible or whatever you're reading uh, Scripture on, and let's dive in this morning. We, we've been in a series over the last few weeks called Run the Race. We started the series talking about the, the necessity of starting every race, everything we do with prayer, and then we've gone through over the last several weeks making certain we understand that we're running the right race, that we're staying on course And this week, the title of the message is Overcoming Obstacles. Anybody ever had any obstacles in your life? A few of you. Isn't that everybody? It's pretty much universal, isn't it? Jesus even promised us that in in John 16. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. He said, you're going to have obstacles. You're going to have those things. He said, I've overcome the world, but, but rest assured, it's going to happen this side of heaven. So let's talk about this morning that... that that topic of overcoming obstacles. I want to review again with you the passage of Scripture we've been looking at as we've gone through this series in Hebrews chapter 12. Remember we've said in Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that from the beginning of time, God's people have been faithful, and he talks about some of the faithful people that have come along before us on whose shoulders we now stand. He starts at the very beginning, and he goes all the way through the story of God and says some of those people weren't, weren't named. Some of them, we won't know their names until we get to heaven, but because of their faithfulness, because of the incredible devotion to God they had in their lives, he, he says this world is not even worthy of these people. And they carried the baton in their leg of the race with faithful devotion, and now, now it's our turn. He says, because they have carried the, carry the baton with faithful devotion, we get to stand on their shoulders. We get to be part of the story. We get to be part of God's story forever. And now it's our turn to carry that baton and be faithful. Now, before we go any further, let me say, let me just stop for a second while you're sort of thinking about the fact that we're, now it's, now it's our turn, now it's my turn. Why don't you just say that with me? Now it's my turn. It's our turn to carry the baton. And friends, it's our turn to be the faithful followers of Jesus Christ in this country. I want to stop for a moment this morning and pray for our uh, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ and all of those who are suffering from the devastation in various ways along the eastern coast. Uh, those who are in Haiti and the Bahamas and so that have just suffered and are still suffering from the Hurricane Matthew. And I also want to stop and and say something um, about our country. Uh, This is not a political message at all. Uh, In fact, I don't believe that any church should have a political platform. Um, And this one never has, and as far as I'm concerned, it never will. However, we stand as followers of Jesus Christ, and the country we live in is in a mess. Everybody agree with that so far, right? So, and, and I also believe, friends, that, that you know, we're, we're facing a historic moment in time as we uh, anticipate the election coming up in about a month. And, you know, I'm not sure there are any good answers from a political standpoint. I just don't know that there are. But I do know this, if God's people will stand up and pray and follow him with faithful devotion, we can take this country back and we can redevote this country and our nation and the people of this great nation to the people of God. And it's our turn now to carry that baton and lead in that regard. Everybody agree with me so far? So it's time to not just sit back and go, oh, we're in a mess. I'm just going to turn my back and and hope for the best. It's time to pray and stand up and be faithful. And do what we only, only we as followers of Jesus can do. Okay? So let's, with that in mind, let's pray uh, for our time together, but also for everything I've just talked about before I move on with the rest of the message. Pray with me if you would. Father, we want to pray for those who are suffering and, and being devastated right now by uh, a hurricane. We pray that uh, you will move in a powerful way the resources and the people and the ways that we'll be able to provide for every need. Where there's been loss of life, Father, we pray for your comfort, and where there's loss of property and, and devastated lives, we pray in the name of Jesus that you'll mobilize your church, that you'll mobilize what, the power and provision that only you can mobilize and that you will provide. And Lord, Lord, for this country, we pray in the name of Jesus that you will do what only you can do and move your people to, to step up and take action and lead this country. Lead our people, lead this, this community that we're in so that you will be known, so that your church will rise up and be the church of Jesus Christ that we are called to be and lead our communities and lead our families and lead our businesses and lead this country in the way that would align with your will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Okay, let's dive into Hebrews chapter 12. With all of that said, the writer of Hebrews in 12 says, Now now it's your turn. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, those that have come before us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. It's time for you to run your race, he's saying fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. A few weeks ago, we looked at the story of Nehemiah, and I want to look at that again. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah with me. We're going to go back there. We said... Nehemiah was called by God to go back to Jerusalem from where he was. He was the cupbearer to the king in Persia. He was called to go back to his homeland and become the leader of God's people who would restore the city of God. Now, Nehemiah has a leadership challenge. We said a few weeks ago that every time you have a leadership challenge, you have to define reality. So here's where we are now, and here's where we need to be we need to lead people when you're leading a family when you're leading a marriage when you're leading an organization a business a church a community a nation you need to define reality here's where we are here's the reality of where we are and we if we're gonna get from here to here we're going to have to understand this is the vision we're going for this is when Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem he says this place here's where we are friends this city is a mess, and the city of Jerusalem was such a mess, it reflected the mess that was going on in the lives of God's people. The walls were broken down. They'd rebuilt the temple, but that's about it. It was completely unprotected. It was a mess, and their lives were a mess, and the community of God was a mess. This could not, it could not be called the city of God, not in this condition it can't. And Nehemiah says, we're going to go here, friends. We've got to rebuild this city. This is the vision. And so if we're going to get from here, if we're going to get from where we are to where we need to be, we need to work together. Everybody needs to come together. And so they did. They, they began to work hard together. And things were going very well. In fact, it says in Nehemiah 4, 6, so we built the wall And the whole wall was joined together to half its height all the way around the city. They're building together. Everybody's building his section of the wall. They're working together in perfect unity, fulfilling this vision. We built it together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. They were all of one mind. They were unified. They were focused. They understood what their purpose was, and they understood that we can do this if we do this together. God's provided. God is with us. And then, as is normal when leading a process of change, difficulty comes along, and trouble shows up, and this time it's serious trouble. They've been sort of uh, abused verbally so far by the detractors of the city of God, the the people who were not from Jerusalem, not from the people of God. This is Sambalat and and Tobiah, the Ammonite. And so, and now they come at the people of Jerusalem with swords this time. And they say, hey, if you're going to keep building that, we're going to get involved. We're going to intervene. We're going to stop the work that you're trying to do. And in the fact, they, they start, they start beride, deriding them for, for all they're doing. They said, you know, even, even if a fox were to run across that wall, you guys aren't builders. If a fox ran across that wall, it would fall down. What do you think you're doing? You don't know what you're doing. You're not stonemasons. And so they were faced with an incredible challenge. Now, you learn a lot about a leader when trouble comes, don't you? You learn a lot about the, the commitment of your heart when trouble comes along. When trouble comes along in your marriage, when trouble comes along in your family, you learn a lot about who you are and who the leadership, what the leadership is like in those situations. Because when th- everything's going good, any leader can lead, can't they? But when things start to go difficult, become difficult, when things go south, That's when leadership is absolutely necessary. When faced with a seemingly impossible situation, bad leaders just cut and run. Good leaders overcome. So how do you overcome when times get tough? In your life, in your family, in this community, in the business that you lead, or in the organization you're a part of, how do you you overcome Situations. Well, I want to jump into that, and you can follow along in your outline. Grab the handout that you were given. You can follow along if you would like to do that. What I want to say to you this morning as we look at the ways that we overcome is that almost every significant problem we face is a relational problem. Would you agree with that? Almost every significant problem we face is some kind of relational problem, or if it's not specifically a relational problem, it can be overcome if you have the right relationships. Are you following me? I mean, we'll face physical problems. We might face financial problems. We might face all kinds of different problems. But every problem can be overcome if you have the right relationships and if your relationships are in order, if, if your relationships are solid and healthy. Everybody agree with that? A couple of you agree with that, and everybody else, well, I don't know, we'll see. All right, <clears throat> let's talk about overcoming obstacles. Number one, you need to prepare for the unexpected. You need to prepare for the unexpected. This is what Nehemiah does. When Nehemiah is faced with this challenge from detractors who are wanting them to stop working on the walls of Jerusalem, to stop rebuilding the, the the city of Jerusalem. He makes five very good decisions very quickly. Here's what he does. He stations armed watchmen all around the wall. He says, okay, here's we're, we're facing a difficulty, and we're facing a difficult challenge from people. We have people who want to destroy us. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to face watch, I'm going to put watchmen all around the wall. And then he gave everyone a weapon. And he said, from now on, you're going to build a wall with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. So he arms them. He says, be prepared for the unexpected. Number three, he establishes a communication plan. He, he explained the plan. He says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give some of you trumpets, and when you see trouble coming... I want you to sound the trumpet, and then we're all going to gather at that point so that we can fight together. We'll be united in our effort to protect ourselves. And number four, he says to the people, be prepared to fight, but remember, remember our God is going to fight for us. We're not in this alone. Now, he was refilling their faith bucket because he understood. He's cast this vision. He says, here's where we're going to go. But when trouble comes, what happens is you often take your eyes off the vision and you start putting your eyes on the problem, don't you? Don't we? He says, let's keep our eyes on the vision and let's keep our eyes on the one who's going to provide for the vision. Because the problem that we're seeing is often not the problem, is it? He's refilling their faith bucket. He says to them in Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 20, he says, Whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us here. We're all gonna we're gonna work together and we're gonna fight together. We're gonna rebuild this city together. But he says here's, here's the most important part part. Our God will fight for us. He's refilling their faith buckets. Very important for all, in, in every situation for leaders to make certain. If you're leading your marriage, if you're leading your children, if you're leading your organization, if you're leading your community, we need to, be, we need to stay focused on who is for us. Are you awake? Are you there? Are you, are you with me? We need to make certain we stay focused on what we need to stay focused on. Not get focused on the problem, but be focused on the one who provides for the problem. And that is God. And five... He sets an example of courage himself by rolling up his sleeves and he, he builds with a trial in one hand and a sword in the other. He understands that the speed of the leader the speed of the team. He's going to make certain he sets an example for them to follow. He's not going to cut and run. He's not going to go hide in a boardroom somewhere. He's not going to go hide in a cave. He's going to roll up his sleeves. And he grabs a sword in one hand and a trial in the other and while he builds his section of the wall and they're keying off the leader. Moms and dads, your kids need to watch you follow Jesus with full devotion. And when problems come, they need to watch you build the family with one hand and the sword in the other. Amen. Are you with me? Yes. See where I'm going? This is leadership. And we're all leading at least ourselves. If you, you may not think of yourself as a leader, but you lead yourself every single day, don't you? and you lead your marriage if you're married, and you lead in your family if you have a family, and you lead in your organization, and you lead in your friendships, and you lead in your community, and you lead in your church, and you lead in your organization, and you have to stay focused on who is leading you and not on the problems. Because the problem isn't the problem. Only God can see the perspective that we need to be seeing. So we need to set that example. And we need to keep filling the faith buckets of our spouse or our children or the people in our organization or in our church. He said to the people of Jerusalem, he says, we're going to build the walls of Jerusalem and I need your help. I need everybody to build their section of the wall. And in the process, we're going to encounter, as we've done now where the walls are half their height, we're going to encounter a problem. We're going to encounter opposition. We need to be planning for the unexpected. And we're going to be ready when that happens. And friends, as a body of Christ, I'll say the same thing to you. I need your help. We all need to be building this body of Christ together. We need everybody on the playing field. Not, this is not a spectator sport, this following Jesus thing. This is, this is a family of God. God's given us a new name, he's expanding our influence, he's expanding our reach, he's expanding our capacity, and we need to make certain we stay focused on who he is, and we need to understand that we'll encounter opposition. We need to be ready for that. And I need every single person on the playing field. We need to give sacrificially, we need to serve sacrificially, we need to use the gifts and the abilities that God has given you to build your section of the wall. Because God has called us all to serve him together. Jesus says, I'll build my church and I'm going to work through you to do it. Are you with me? God's going God to, wants to build his church. Friends, the government is not the answer. We all know that, right? The government is not going to be able to help us. It's not designed to help us. In fact, you know what the government's designed to do? The the government is designed to control us somewhat and to sort of keep us safe. I'm not sure they're doing either one of those things. The church, the body of Christ, the kingdom of God is what matters. And we all need to be on the playing field. This is not a spectator deal. You can't sit in the stands. We need everybody serving with your gifts. We have children that need your help. We have students who need your help. We have adults. Everybody needs to be in a life group together. Worshiping God, studying God's word, praying together, fellowshipping together, and you, being used by God to build the body of Christ here on earth because the body of Christ is the hope of the world. It is God's plan A for the redemption of not only this country but the entire planet. God doesn't have a plan B. You're it. We should, we should, we should get a little fired up about this. Because this is, this is the plan of God. We all know this, right? You don't have to read very far in God's Word to know this. But you know what? People in America get real kind of of complacent about this. Because we have it so, we're so comfortable. Uh, Norm was just talking about Sam Stevens coming uh, a week from tomorrow night. I'd encourage you to be here. Pay the $15, be here, and listen to what Reverend Sam Stevens is going to say God is doing in India. Because in India, they constantly have to be prepared for the the unexpected. You know why? Because in India, when you're in church on a Sunday morning, they have to station guards at the door because militant Hindus or Muslims or Buddhists may come at any moment. And when they come to a church in India, you know what they do? They beat the pastor in front of everybody in the church. Nearly to death. And then they say, if you don't shut this church down, if you don't stop doing what you're doing, we will come back and we won't stop beating next time. But what do the people in India do? They just pray harder and they worship more and they sing louder and they spread the word of God more because they understand that in India and all across the world, the hope of the world is in the church, it is not in the government. I pray our devotion and our fervor and our faithfulness will grow to that level of devotion. Secondly, we need to be prepared for internal conflict. Internal conflict. Uh, Anybody, a long distance runner in here? Anybody do some marathon races or half marathons or a few of those? Some of you thought about doing one of those? Well, I'm told. I've never done anything like that. But I'm told when you do a long-distance run that the, uh, the biggest challenge comes with, from within. Is that right? When you, when you get a long ways into the race, half, two-thirds of the way, the biggest challenge is not whether you can do this physically. The biggest challenge is not whether you can, you know, continue to pound your way down the pavement. The biggest challenge comes from within. Am I going to make it? It's a mental challenge. The same is true in organizations, and that's what Nehemiah is about to find out in this situation. He's going to have to prepare for internal conflict, and any leader knows that when they're leading an important initiative, it's the internal conflicts in the organization that are most difficult to manage. You know, conflicts or challenges from that come from outside almost galvanize unity. Some of you were, some of you won't remember this, but. Many of us will remember the day that 9-11 happened. We know 9-11 now. We don't even have to explain what that is to most of us, do I? When 9-11 happened, it galvanized a disunified nation into one voice, didn't it? We came together in unity because of 9-11. So a conflict from outside, a threat from outside galvanizes unity. A threat from inside... Will splinter and blow everything apart from the inside out. That's why we're facing such a divided country right now. Challenges from within are the most difficult and damaging and take the wind out of the sails, out of our sails quicker than anything else. You might want to write this down. Unity, unity is far more fragile than most people realize. You know, you may, you, you may have, I hope you do, I hope you have incredible unity in your marriage right now. I hope you have incredible unity, deep levels of unity in your family right now, or in the organization that you're a part of, or in the church, or in the community that you're a part of. I hope and I pray that you have deep levels of unity, but I'm here to tell you, friends, unity is much more fragile than what we realize, isn't it? One thing can happen. One one person can make one decision, and it can splinter and fracture unity just like that. It's very fragile. That's why we're always staying focused on unity and making certain we're one in Christ. We're one in God. We're one body. We're one faith. One baptism. One church. One people of God. The people of God. He is our God, and we are his people. Unity is so fragile. We have to make certain we continue to focus on unity. Um, the people of Jerusalem came to... Some of the people, some of the poorer people in Jerusalem came to Nehemiah. And they they were having problems. They were having relational problems. The more wealthy people in the city and in this region were taking advantage of the poor people in Jerusalem. And they began to complain. They said, Nehemiah... The, The the wealthy people, they're they're lending us money and they're charging us exorbitant interest rates. And then when we can't pay them back, they're, they're taking our homes. They're taking our vineyards. They're taking our fields. They're taking our children. They're taking our children as slaves. One line in this passage of Nehemiah says, They're even taking our daughters. So in this trying to build the city of God, in trying to establish this vision, now there's a major rift in the process. Now they've got to overcome a challenge. And it's an internal challenge. So Nehemiah does what every good leader does. Whenever there's a hint of trouble in the camp, he immediately moves toward the issue. He moves toward the challenge. He says, "We're gonna we're gonna work on this right here, right now. We're not gonna go. We're not gonna let this go. We're gonna keep. We're gonna we're gonna work on this right now." Have you ever noticed that if you notice disunity or sense disunity in a family or a marriage or an organization or maybe a church, that everything can look pretty good, but You just sort of know that something smells about this situation. I I can't put my finger on it, but something's not right. You ever notice that? And, you know, what? a lot of leaders, what some leaders will want to do is they'll just want to spray uh, air freshener in the air. And pretend that it's, you know, let's just cover up the problem. Let's just keep moving. Let's don't talk about it. Don't look at it. Don't act like it doesn't exist. Frankly, that's been, that's been one of my tendencies over the, over the years as I've dealt with issues or challenges or issues of disunity. My, my tendency has been to go, oh, that's, uh, they're, they're having a conflict over that? Now, in, in this situation, this is a real issue, isn't it, that they're dealing with in Jerusalem? But you know what my tendency is? When I see two people or a group of people having a conflict, I usually think, Here, I'll just be real transparent. Here, you know what I usually think? I usually think, you know, people in our community are dying and going to hell without Jesus, and you're squabbling over that? You're fussing over that? Are you kidding me? You know what I want to (laughs) say? I'll just be really interested. You know what I want to say? I want to say, grow up! (laughs) And sometimes I do, but... You gotta, you can't just ignore it. You gotta deal with the problem. If you have an issue of disunity in your marriage, it's not gonna go away on its own. Go toward the problem. Deal with it. If you have a problem in your family with your kids or in your extended family, or in your friends, or in your organization, or your church, or your community, or your school, wherever it is, you can't ignore the problems, if the, especially if they're internal. Here's what happens. Let's dive in, into the word. In Nehemiah chapter 5, starting in verse 7. I love this. Nehemiah says, I consulted with myself. He, what he's saying is, do I want to get involved in this? Do I really want to have to deal with this right now? We're trying to build walls. We're trying to do, we got a trial in one hand. We got a sword in the other. We've got real problems out there. And now I've got problems in here. Do I really want to deal with this? Yeah, I'm gonna have to deal with this. So he says, Okay, here I go. I consulted with myself and I contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, You're exacting usury, meaning you're you're charging exorbitant interest rates that people can't even pay their bills, each from his brother. Therefore, I held a great assembly against them. You know what he did? He pulled out, he had a big family meeting. We're all gonna meet together, and then when he did, he goes, This is the problem. Skip down to verse 9. He said, again, I said, the thing you're doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? You've seen what God does to those people, he's saying. Verse 10, and likewise, I, my brothers and even my servants are lending them money. We're lending the poor people in the city money and grain because you're taking advantage of them. Please, let us leave off this usury. Please give back to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, also the hundredth part of the money and the grain, and new wine and the oil that you're exacting from them. They're taking so much resource from them, they can't hardly hardly breathe. They They can't survive this. Let's get down to verse 13, chapter 5. I also shook out the front of my garment. And said to them, thus may God shake out every man from his house and from his possessions who, who does not fulfill his promise. What he's basically doing, if you've ever been sitting at home eating popcorn and uh, get crumbs on your shirt, and then you go, don't, don't tell Kathy I do that from time to time. That's what he's doing here. He's showing them, you know what God's going to do to you? He's going he's to take you like a crumb in his robe and he's going he's to shake you out. God's gonna shake you out from his house, he says, from his possessions, who does not fulfill his promise. Even thus may he shake out be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And they praised the Lord. Then the Lord, then the people did according to his promise. I love that. He said, back up to verse twelve. He says, They said, We'll give it back, and we'll require nothing from them, and do exactly what you say. So I called the priests and took an oath from them, so that they would do according to the promise. Now he's making it legal. The priests are actually the judges in this case. They're going to drop a contract. Everybody's going to sign it in public. And now it'll be a law from now on. You'll no longer be able to take advantage of the poor. So Nehemiah deals with this conflict in the middle of trying to accomplish this vision they've been called to accomplish. Let me ask you a question. What about the condition of your heart toward your brothers? Or your sisters, or your wife, or your husband, or your children, or your parents, or your neighbors, or your coworkers—perhaps somebody here in this family, this body of Christ—is there any dis ease in a relationship that you have with the, between you and another person? Here is what Jesus says about this in Matthew chapter five, verse twenty-three: he says. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Now, let me just put this in context for you for a second. See, what Jesus is saying is, Jesus has said many times, you know, the most, most important thing, in fact, when he's asked a specific question, what's the most important commandment, he says, remember what he said anybody love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength what he's saying is there's nothing more important than worship unless unless you search your heart and you remember that there's a problem between you and somebody you know if you have a problem in your heart if you have a problem in a relationship if you have a conflict then leave your offering at the altar of worship and go first and make it right. Reconcile the relationship. Do that first. That's even more important than the great commandment. Do that first and then come back and worship. Give your heart to God in worshiping him. When you know there's a rift in a relationship, go immediately and make it a priority to do all you can to repair it. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, be angry. It's okay to have anger, but don't sin and don't let the sun go down on your anger. Make certain you do this quickly. Don't even let another day go by. Don't go to bed angry without dealing with the problem, dealing with the conflict, dealing with the internal issues. Jesus reminds us again in Matthew 18, He said, and if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault in private. In other words, don't go tell a whole bunch of friends first. Don't take those friends with you. Go tell this person in private that you've got an issue, that you've got a conflict, that you've got a problem. And if he listens, listen carefully now, if he listens to you, You've won your brother. You could also say, or your sister there. What's he saying? You need to make it a point and a priority and a prayer to win your brother or your sister in that relationship. So here's what he's saying go with the right attitude. Go with the attitude of reconciliation. Go with the spirit of reconciliation. Go in prayer. Go asking them, will you forgive me for my part of the problem? Here's, go, don't go and just dump all this stuff and go, okay, I've dumped all my stuff in your lap. Now what are you going to do? Don't go with that attitude. Go with the attitude of we obviously have a conflict. And what means more to me than anything else? What means more to me than being right is being in relationship. You ought to write that down. It means more to me to be in relationship than it is to be right. I need to be in relationship with you. And if that means I, don't, I, just, I just give up being right, I'll do that. It's way more important to be in relationship than it is to be right Go and reconcile. And thirdly, the third thing is prepare to receive from God what only he can give. Prepare to receive from God what only he can give. Now, this is very important, and I want to encourage you to write this, to to do your own drawing in in the note area that you have there. Because here's what we all have between us and God and here's what happens between us and other people when there is a conflict or when we do deal with issues of challenge and chaos and and conflict in relationships. See see what here's what God did. Here's God and here um here's us. Um I'll just, you know, draw us. I'm kind of skinny people and <clears throat> And here we are. And, and notice there's a big distance between us and God because we have this thing uh, in our lives called sin. And now there's a rift in our relationship between us and God. And, and this rift creates this huge chasm between us and God. There's a huge distance, and there's no way we can get from where we are to where God is on our own. In fact, often what happens, a lot of other religions and other parts of the world, not, there's nothing, I'm not knocking other religions, I'm just saying, here's what other religions will tell us to do. Other religions will say, well, just bow and pray, you know, pray five times. Let's pray a lot. Or go to uh, a certain place, or do a certain thing. But the truth is no matter what you do, no matter how much we try, no matter how good we try to be, no matter how much we pray, no matter unless God gets involved and helps us, we can't we can't get to where God is. We can't deal with that rift on our own. So here's what God does. God does exactly what we need to do whenever there's a conflict, when there's, when there's a distance in a relationship, God moves right into the rift. In fact, here's what he says. He says, here's what, here's what happens in heaven in the conversation between God and Jesus. I think they looked, this is my imagination now, I think they looked at one another and said, there's no way they can get to us. There's no way they can work hard enough or do enough good things to get to us. There's no way they can solve this problem. And Jesus said, I'll go. I'll go. And so he went, and he comes. And he he got on a cross. so that he could bridge the gap. Because what matters more to God than anything else is for us to be reconciled with him. And he says to Jesus, you go and you do what only you can do. And then the people that I love can get to me. When you bridge the gap that exists between us, because of sin, and God, who is all good. And God says, come as you are. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to go through a bunch of calisthenics you don't have to go you don't god says come as you are and then not only that when when he sent jesus to bridge the gap he put all of our sin on him and so now our sin is blotted out and that means that instead of a rift there is a gift. That's how important relationship is to God. That's how important you are to God. And now God says, when He looks at you and you receive from God what only God can give, now when God looks at you, instead of seeing sin, He sees a son or a daughter he has adopted you do you know that the, the Bible tells us that when God adopts you he can never ever turn his back on you adoption is permanent adoption is not rescindable Now, if God did all of that for us and, and looks at you and me and he says to us, the only thing we need to do now is receive and take his hand and walk from where we are to where he is, holding his hand, receiving the gift. And when you do that, and you face the conflicts or the challenges or the obstacles, you now can can hear the words of God Himself saying, I am with you. You're not in this alone. You never have to have a day alone again. You never have to feel isolated. You never, ever again need to, un- need to feel or believe that you are not going to get help, that I'm going to provide for you, he says. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I've adopted you as my own. You're my son. You're my daughter. I will never, ever leave you as long as we receive that's, all, that's our deal we just receive this and we take God by the hand now another thing we can do is we can take God by one hand and we can reach back and grab as many other people as we can grab and lead them along with us can't we God says there's no obstacle too big for me there's no problem bigger than I can handle I've taken care of all of it. And now it's for us to receive. As the worship team comes and prepares to lead us in worship, let me ask you, what's God been saying to you in these few minutes that we've had here together this morning? What's he been saying to you Is there a relationship in your life that needs to be reconciled? Are you facing problems and challenges outside, within? What are the obstacles that you need God to help you with? Or maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, I've never, I've never received God's gift. I've never walked across and joined God as he has made provision for me to do that. And maybe that's where you are. Maybe you just need to reach out and say, God, I'm going to take you by the hand today and I'm going to receive the gift. Because God has removed the rift and he's giving you a gift. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here today and that's you, if you're here and you're saying to God right now, God, I want to receive what you have for me. I want to I receive the gift of relationship. I want to receive your gift of forgiveness. I want to receive your gift of adoption. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now and just really high and say, that's me, God. I want to I receive that gift. Praise God. Amen, amen, Thank you. you. put your hands down, Father. as we as we all bow our hearts and minds and lives before you this morning, no doubt many of us are thinking about relationships in our lives that need to be reconciled. Maybe it's the relationship between you and Us, maybe it's a relationship between in a marriage or in a family or in a a workplace or a school or a neighborhood or a friend. And so, God, we hold that out in front of you today and ask that you will move into that rift with us and lead us, Lord, to do what only you can do and lead us to reconcile and rebuild and restore that relationship. Thank you, Father, that you have the ability to do only what only you can do. And that you're at work and you will be at work on our behalf. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.